foundation for where we are headed in this sermon today. During Jesus' short ministry, we see time and time again that even those who were closest to Jesus, more specifically, we're talking about his 12 disciples, still didn't recognize who he really was. Oh, they, they saw Jesus heal the sick. They saw him give sight to the blind. They even saw him raise the dead. They saw him feed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. They saw him speak to a storm, and the wind and the waves actually calmed down just by him speaking to it. And yet, in spite of all of that, they really didn't know who he was. Obviously, they knew he was special. Matthew wrote that after Jesus calmed that storm on the Sea of Galilee, just by speaking the words, peace be still, Matthew, he and the other disciples were amazed. But even with all they had seen and heard, it seemed that believing who Jesus was, who he said he was, the Messiah, God in flesh, that part seemed to be unbelievable or at least out of reach for them. In fact, there were a lot of things that had to happen to get them to the place where they really knew who Jesus was and that he really was who he said he was. In fact, once they knew, once they believed that and trusted him for who he was, the Savior of the world, their lives were radically changed forever. The 18th and 19th chapter of, of the book of John tells of the arrest, the trial as it was, the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. But today I want us to look at the events surrounding his resurrection, specifically as those events are recorded in the 20th chapter of the book of John. I love this quote from Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe. This is so cool. If the book of John were the biography of any ordinary man, there would be no chapter 20. Think about that for a minute. The truth in that statement is what makes John chapter 20 so amazing. After all, without this part of Jesus' story, this part of Jesus' life, the part of him passing from death to life, we would have no hope of salvation. There is a, a common statement. I thought about Jim Morris when I was writing this sermon, there's a common statement from people who have undergone bypass surgery is that they feel like once it's over that they, they've received new life. Instead of feeling tired or weak or short of breath, they now have the energy to do things that they had not been able to do before surgery. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ does the same thing for us in a spiritual sense. Ephesians 2.1 tells us that one time, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But when we are born again, when we have trusted in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our salvation, verses 4 and 5 of that same chapter tells us that by mercy and grace, we are made alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. In a spiritual sense, when we are saved, we are much like that person who had bypass surgery. Because at that point, we too have found a brand new life. Those who are born again have a hope beyond death, a hope of an eternal life with Jesus. And now we'll read our text. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, 
Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, the Lord. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. This passage takes place on what we recognize as a Sunday. On the Friday before, let's go back a couple days, on the Friday before, after Jesus' crucifixion, no one seemed to have a clue as to what would take place on Sunday. The disciples had fled the scene. They were afraid of suffering the same fate as Jesus. In fact, it was a man named Joseph, a wealthy and prominent member of the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin. Another man who we're familiar with, a man named Nicodemus, who came to Jesus, another Pharisee, who came to Jesus by night. It was those two men, after getting permission from Pilate, they took Jesus' body from the cross and prepared it for burial. We read that Nicodemus brought about 75 pounds of a mixture of myrrh and aloe, and they dabbed strips of linen in this myrrh and aloe mixture, and they wrapped them around the body of Jesus. And then they put Jesus' body in a tomb in a garden that was apparently close to the execution site. Once the tomb was sealed with a large stone, the Romans placed guards at the entrance of the tomb. Presumably this was to keep Jesus' disciples from stealing the body and then claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead as he said he would. Well, it seemed at this point that most of those closest to Jesus had gone into hiding. There was one person who refused to forsake Jesus. Her name was Mary. She was from the town of Magdala in Galilee, commonly referred to as Mary Magdalene. If you go back to the 8th chapter in the writings of Luke, you will read that once she was possessed by seven demons. And Jesus cast the demons out of her, and as a result, she became a follower. Then she traveled with Jesus and his disciples and several other women who had been cured of, of, of different diseases and, and evil spirits had been cast out of them as well. She eventually witnessed Jesus' death. She discovered Jesus' empty tomb and may have been the first person to actually see Jesus Christ alive after he was crucified. If you ever think that life has gotten to the place that there is no hope for you, even through Jesus Christ, look at Mary Magdalene, a woman who before she met Jesus was in demonic bondage, but she was delivered, and after that, she followed Jesus with her whole heart. And we are called today to do the exact same thing. Nothing more, nothing less. We are forgiven in our past. Whatever it might have been is just that. It's in the past. And now we follow him with our whole heart. On the morning we read about in John chapter 20, we see that Mary Magdalene was in grief over what had happened to Jesus. So here in the early hours of the day that Jesus rose from the dead, there was not a single follower of Jesus at his tomb waiting for an event that would change the world forever. Think about that for a minute. No one believed Jesus' teaching enough to be there to see if what he said would happen actually would happen. 
No one. And although Mary went to the tomb, it wasn't to witness the resurrection. It wasn't in anticipation of, of meeting a risen Jesus. Instead, it was to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial, something that she had not been able to complete on the day Jesus was crucified because the Sabbath was coming. Consider this. Although there were a lot of people who claimed to be followers of Jesus, if they had really known him, if they had really believed his words, there would have been thousands of people gathered around the grave that morning waiting for him to be resurrected from the dead. But sadly, that wasn't the case. Oh, they too had heard Jesus speak. They too had seen him do miraculous things. But when it came right down to it, they just didn't believe. They wanted the benefits. They wanted the miracles. But they didn't want the commitment or the risk that came with truly knowing and following Jesus. In Mary's defense, at least she went. She did go. Not for the right reason, but she went. And when she arrived at the tomb, she realized Jesus was gone. At first, again, as a sign of unbelief, when she realized the body was gone, she immediately assumed that the Jewish leaders had taken his body. But we read nowhere that she had any thought of a possibility of a risen Savior. There are people all across the country today, actually people around the world today, who are in churches, maybe someone even here today, people who if you ask them would very likely to say they are here to celebrate Easter the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They might even claim to be followers of Jesus. And many still, many of these same folks, still have not really accepted the magnitude of what that means, that Jesus truly rose from the dead. And sadly, as it was with Mary Magdalene, many just don't understand the significance of that empty tomb. And as a result, they have never accepted the free gift of salvation that only comes through Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And they have never made a commitment to follow him no matter what happens, even if it's not popular, even if it's just downright hard. They just never made that commitment. Back to Mary. Mary didn't understand what had happened, and, and the reason for not understanding was that although she believed Jesus was a great man, Maybe, maybe even more than just a man, after all, he had delivered her from demon possession. But even then, she hadn't grasped the reality of who Jesus really was and that now he had truly risen from the dead. Her reaction was to run to those who she thought could make sense of what happened. That just happened to be Simon Peter. And the other disciple was probably John the Beloved who wrote this gospel of John that we're reading from today. There will be people today who will hear the message of the resurrection and then they will just get up and walk away without ever trying to better understand what really happened and what it means to them personally. We need to understand, no, we must understand that the resurrection of Jesus is the most significant event in all history. 
And here's why it's so important. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead validated everything else he taught during his short ministry. It meant that finally there was an ultimate sacrifice that was sufficient to wash away the sins of all mankind and pay the required penalty for sin. And that is what it means. It means your sins, whatever they might be, can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So I ask you today, please don't walk away unchanged. Even if you don't fully understand, you don't have to walk away unchanged. Here's what happened when Mary told Peter and John that Jesus' body was gone. John chapter 20. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the, at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and then watch this, he saw and believed. Mary probably chose to tell Peter the news of Jesus' body being gone because he would still be recognized as the leader of the disciples in spite of the fact that he had denied that he even knew Jesus just a few days before. When Mary informed Peter that Jesus' body was gone, he and the other disciple took off running toward the tomb. When Peter arrived, he saw that the guards were gone. He saw that the stone that had protected the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away, and he saw that the body of Jesus was missing, but his burial clothes were left behind. John reacted to the empty tomb differently than Peter. Verses 8 and 9 tell us that he went inside and saw the evidence and believed. It doesn't tell us what he believed. However, it seems that although John didn't understand, he did believe that Jesus was no longer dead, that he was alive, and yet he still didn't put it all together yet. He still didn't recognize that Scripture and Jesus himself had prophesied that this very thing would take place. But he saw the evidence, and as a result, I believe he really believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. When we have presented, been presented with the evidence, will we do the same? Will we or do we truly believe? And if we do, what we, will we choose to do with that belief? Theologian Alistair McGrath outlines the following three stages of receiving what Christ did for us on the cross. Here's what he wrote, and I'm going to quote. I may believe that God is promising me forgiveness of sin. I may trust that promise, but unless I respond to that promise, I shall not obtain forgiveness. The first two stages of faith Prepare the way for the third. Without it, they are incomplete. He goes on to illustrate these three stages with the following story. Consider a bottle of, a bottle of penicillin, the famous antibiotic identified by Alexander Fleming and first produced for clinical use in Great Britain. 
The drug was responsible for saving the lives of countless individuals who would have otherwise have died from various forms of blood poisoning. Think of the three stages of faith like this. I may accept the bottle exists. I may trust in its ability to cure blood poisoning. But nothing will change unless I receive the blood, the, the drug which it contains. I must allow it to destroy the bacteria which are slowly killing me. Otherwise, I have not benefited from my faith in it. It is the third element of faith which is of vital importance in making sense of the cross. Just as faith links a bottle of penicillin to the cure of blood poisoning, so faith forges a link between the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ and ourselves. Faith unites us with the risen Christ and makes us available to everything he gained through his obedience and resurrection. End of quote. And you would think at this point in this story, in the 20th chapter of John, you would think that Peter and John would be rejoicing over the possibility that Jesus had risen from the dead, just like he had said he would. But in John 20.10, we read that after Peter and John left the empty tomb, they went back to their homes. They saw that Jesus was gone. And it seems that even John might have even believed that there was a possibility that Jesus had risen from the dead, and yet, and yet nothing changed. They just left the empty tomb and went home. After they had gone, Mary had an account, encounter with the risen Jesus, and as a result, she finally believed. Look at John chapter 20. Verses 11 through 17. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at, the head and one at the head and one at the other foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you think you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away. Tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And then we read in verse 18 that she went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said those things to her. Amen. Yes. And you would think with this new information, surely now they would believe, right? That's not what happened. Even after seeing the empty tomb, even after hearing Mary's testimony, it seems they were still unsure about what had happened. I say they were unsure, and this is why. Because we read that when they met later that day with the other disciples, they met with the doors locked. 
out of fear of the Jews. So here they are in a room hiding out from the authorities. And Jesus appears in the room and he says, peace be with you. Although they might have doubted the words of Mary, they certainly could not deny the evidence that they were now seeing with their own eyes. Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. Their rejoicing was a fulfillment of Jesus' final words to them the night he was arrested. We read it in John 16, 16 and John 16, 20. He had told them, in a little while you will see me no more. And then in a little while you will see me. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, and this is the good part, but your grief will turn to joy. Everything he told them was coming to pass. The words that Jesus had spoken were all of a sudden starting to make sense. They had seen him die and they grieved, but now here he was standing right in front of them and they were overjoyed. Besides seeing Jesus and hearing his voice, Jesus gave them physical proof that he was alive, not a ghost or a hallucination, by showing them the wounds in his hand and the wounds in his side from the crucifixion. There was no denying it now. Now they knew. Jesus followed this initial appearance to the disciples with several more weeks of ministry to them. And he used this time to explain to them what the Scripture had to say about him and the reason he had to be crucified. Because now they were listening. He told them that all of humanity, all of humanity needed redemption from its sin. And that death, his death, was the only means to bring the lost world into an eternal relationship with God. And then he told them one of the most significant things that he ever spoke during his time here on earth. In Matthew 28, 19, Matthew wrote that Jesus told those who were gathered that day to go into the world and proclaim the news and to make disciples of all nations. Now they had seen. Now they had believed. Now they knew. And now, look what Jesus told them to do. Go. Go tell someone what you've seen. Go and duplicate yourself. Don't just be glad it's the 12 of you, the 11 of you. Don't just be happy with that. Go and find somebody else. Make disciples. Not just one or two, but the whole world, all nations. What many thought was the end of a revolution became the dawn of a new day. The Word who became flesh and dwelled among us was not dead. He was alive and well, and he's still alive today. And because Jesus is alive, we need, no longer need to live in the fear of God's wrath. Instead, because Jesus has risen from the dead, all men can know what God is like, and more importantly, can have an eternal relationship with him. 
Now we have the evidence. So I would ask today, what will you do with it? Each of us will make a decision today. Well, pastor, I'm not doing anything and you can't make me. Okay. While that is true, I cannot make you decide to follow Christ. It is also true that deciding not to follow him is a decision to reject him. There is no in-between. I pray that everyone here today will make the decision to follow Jesus. A sinner's prayer is a good start, but that alone will not save you. When we are truly saved, when we have been forgiven and born again of the water and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will change us, and we will become different than we were before we got saved. Then, because now we know, we will allow the Holy Spirit to embolden us to go out into the world and share what we have experienced. Those who conspired to put Jesus to death thought that the cross ended the life of someone who was no more than an annoyance, perceived threat to power. But when Jesus rose from the dead, stay with me here for a minute, when Jesus rose from the dead, he left behind much more than an empty tomb. He also left behind emboldened disciples who would spread the gospel message. And here we are over 2,000 years later, and we're still proclaiming that same message. Once the disciples understood that Jesus was very much alive, their lives were ready to be dramatically changed. They were now ready to endure persecution. They were ready to face death themselves so that the good news of Jesus, the gospel, could be shared with others. When we truly know that we serve a risen Savior, it will have an impact on our lives. We will be different very familiar passage of Scripture that I quote quite often. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Amen. Amen. Once the disciples really knew who Jesus was, they were changed. And once we have accepted what Jesus did on the cross and we know who Jesus really is, we too will be changed. Not just in the ways we think and act, but just like it was with the disciples. When they finally know, knew Jesus, when we truly know Jesus, we will also be changed in how and what we communicate to others about Jesus. And even though others might wish for us to be silent about this great and wonderful truth, knowing that Jesus is alive will give us the boldness to share whenever we can what we know to be true. And I'll close with this. There are some basic facts that are not just found in the book of John, but are consistent throughout the writings of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here they are. We are all sinners. 
There is nothing we could do on our own to save ourselves. These are facts. These are not my thoughts. These are facts. We are all sinners, and there's nothing we could do on our own to save ourselves. God gave his one and only son to die in our place, according to John 3, 16, so that we could be reconciled back to him. We know that Jesus lived a perfect life. Then he willingly gave his life in our place. He died a horrible death on the cross. He was buried, but that's not the end of the story. He didn't stay in the grave. He is risen, and he is alive forevermore. Those are facts. Once the disciples knew Jesus was risen, once they truly believed he was who he said he was, their lives were changed forever. And they went out into the world sharing the gospel with everyone they came in contact with, kind of like Ann has done with this healing just a week or so ago. Nobody going to shut her up. <laughs> and I believe that's how the disciples were. Everywhere they went, let me tell you about Jesus. They were changed. Today we have heard the testimony of the power of God with regard to healing. We have felt the Holy Spirit in this place through our worship. We have seen someone baptized in obedience to the Word of God. We have heard the gospel, the truth about salvation. We have heard about our mission to share the gospel with everyone we come in contact with. So I will ask you today, now that you know, what will you do? My prayer is that the first thing you will do is to make sure that you are saved. We must understand that on our own, we could not save ourselves. We were sinners who were separated from God, destined to die because of sin. But Jesus died for our sins. He gave his life so that we could be reconciled back to God. J.D. Greer said it like this. He didn't just die for us. He died instead of us. He didn't just die for us. He died instead of us because we were destined to death. Once we have believed and realized that the blood of Jesus covers our sins, we have repented of our sins and been baptized, then we have a promise that we will receive the Holy Spirit in our lives and it will give us power to live overcoming lives and be witnesses to what has happened to us. And let me assure you that once that has happened, you will be changed. You will be changed in how you live, how you talk, how you share the gospel, changed in your commitment to Christ, the things that used to matter, just won't matter like they used to because now that you know Jesus nothing is the same if you don't know him today as we sing would you come and pray someone will meet you here at the altar maybe you've been saved for years but like the disciples who followed Jesus you never really realize who Jesus is you never really realize what he could do in your life and if that's you, would you come today and rededicate your life to him? Regardless of where we are in our walk with Christ, whether we haven't even started, 
we just started or we've been serving him for years, we go forward, we draw closer, we never stop. Every person in the resurrection story had something in common. Here's what it is. They all had a choice. They all had to make a decision. Once they heard the story of Jesus, once they really knew who Jesus was, they had to make a decision to either believe and move forward like never before, living for Jesus completely and sharing the gospel, or they could decide to hear the very same story and walk away. Today we have heard. So I will ask you one last time, now that you know, what will you do? Would you stand this morning? I stand